And that was Dan O'Connor looking back on a night which saw Donald Trump become the US president-elect. While on the Democrat side, it couldn't have gone much worse. Hillary Clinton led the polls and seemed to have the momentum in the days before polling, but fell well short of the 270 electoral college votes needed. Joining me now is TJ Malloy, who's president of Democrats Abroad Ireland. Thanks for joining us, TJ. Hi, how are you doing? First of all, devastating results. Yeah, we're pretty, uh, pretty shocking, I guess, um, having the polls, and uh, we didn't think in this day and age polling would have it so wrong. It wasn't even that it was slightly wrong, it was, it was very wrong. So. First of all, uh, just those former Rust Belt states of Wisconsin, Michigan, did the party believe that they were kind of concrete, solid blue before the election? Was that a, a big mistake, do you believe? Well, obviously it was a mistake. It, they weren't solidly blue. Um, yeah, we thought they were solidly blue. I mean, she was uh, by five to ten points in both both of those. I mean, ma- ma- massive miscalculation, you know. But it's uh, I guess you can't just blame us. There's pollsters everywhere. I mean, Trump maybe Trump's internal numbers told them something a little different, but um, yeah, very very beyond belief, really. But here we are. So. Just looking at Hillary's campaign, do you think? that the the whole campaign for change that Trump used the whole rhetoric that he's going to make America great again of course it sound it sounds perhaps a bit over the top but do you think that resonated with people a little more than I'm with her well obviously it resonated with people more whether it was his campaign or just that he was an anti-establishment candidate I think it probably resonated the most uh, people are sick of politics as usual and sick of stagnant wages um, they're sick of seeing their jobs go overseas or their, their, their living standards staying stagnant. So like, it's understandable on many fronts. Um, we just didn't think we would see this result. So obviously it resonated more. You know, He won the election. I was quite interested about how the voter spread worked out in the end. Um, the party seemed to have aimed for minority votes, which kind of played dividends in 2008 and 2012. But it didn't work this time. Donald Trump seemed to be really popular among the largest demographic, the white voter. Um, I, I kind of putting it very, very bluntly. Uh, do you think maybe a, somebody who did stand out and say that Washington, the system isn't working, somebody like Bernie Sanders perhaps would have had more success in that demographic? Oh, obviously, yeah. We, the, the candidate we had did not have success in that demographic. That's as clear as day today, isn't it? Yeah. So. Uh, Obviously, would someone else have done better? I don't know about that, but it seems uh, it seems the candidate we had, Hillary Clinton, as good as she was, was not the candidate for 2016. So we uh, learn, we move on, we uh, we gather our forces and move forward. Uh, Democratic Party is one of the greatest institutions, in my opinion, in the history of mankind. Never mind the United States political party. So it's um, it's given us much of what you see in the United States today is as a result of its policies and its leaders and. Uh, we just have to regroup and uh, live to fight another day, which we certainly will. And, uh, you know, we'll give Trump his day now today and for the next few weeks. Uh, he goes to the White House tomorrow. And congratulations to him. He ran a campaign that no one's ever seen. Well, it's fair to say last night's presidential election results caught pollsters and commentators by surprise. One of those is the NUI Galway lecturer and Boston native Larry Donnelly, who joins me now to reflect on the results and what a Trump presidency might look like. Uh, Larry, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. So, um, what is your result to last night's election? Um, well, I mean, really, it was a shock. I think anybody who has been following the race between 
uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump for the presidency, um, was totally taken aback uh, by what happened. There are exceedingly few people uh, who thought that Donald Trump could prevail. Um, in fact, uh, the Electoral College maps seem to be very squarely uh, on Hillary Clinton's side. Uh, the Democratic Party's substantial get-out-the-vote advantage seemed to be on her side. Uh, the fact that more young people and minorities turn out uh, for presidential elections, uh, again, was something that would have been on her side. Uh, but Donald Trump and his unconventional campaign and his nuanced message that uh, in many ways is unparalleled uh, upended all of that conventional wisdom uh, and delivered a result that really is a shock to the American political system. Anyone who's been following you on Twitter during the campaign, you've been quite, um, you've been continuously running the uh, election numbers through the Electoral College map to try and uh, discover who might be uh, come out on top. And you just couldn't find a way for Donald Trump to do it. But he really managed to reshape that electoral map last night. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for instance, uh, I never thought that I, I didn't give Donald Trump any chance of winning the state of Pennsylvania. Um, the reason for that being um, that because of his high unfavorables with minorities, that while while Trump would do well in rural areas, and indeed he did even better in rural areas of America than people had expected, the fact was that the city of Philadelphia, with its heavy African American population, uh, would prevent any chance. Uh, that Donald Trump had of winning that state. And again, uh, Pennsylvania was, in my view, was a must-win state for him. Uh, yet he managed to pull it off narrowly. Uh, and again, I think it speaks to uh, the appeal uh, of Donald Trump, the unique appeal that Donald Trump made. And again, he, he was a Republican candidate, but one who uh, ran on a message uh, of opposition to free trade, uh, of opposition to military adventurism uh, and, and, and interventionism, uh, things that you know are, are at odds with his party's platform. Uh, and I think his message resonated there. And I think at the same time, Hillary Clinton clearly wasn't able to excite uh, and inspire African Americans to go to the polls for her in anywhere near the same fashion uh, as Barack Obama did. Donald Trump to get to that electoral college magic number of 270 he had to win all of the key swing states and he had to gain some democratic uh territory if you like most people wrote off his chances of doing that how did he manage to do that last night and why was hillary clinton so um profoundly rejected in so many in so many states yeah well i mean i think there's a couple of parts to that uh, the first point is that donald trump held all of the traditionally red states if you recall uh, there was some speculation that, for instance, he might lose the state of Arizona or he might lose the state uh, of Georgia, that Hillary Clinton was surging in those places. There was even for a time some speculation um, that he that he could lose the state of Texas. Well, he held all of those states, and what made him a wild card and what made his appeal so unique, uh, the, the attributes I mentioned a few minutes ago, he ran on the issues uh, of trade. He ran on the issue of America's role in the world. And he ran really with a message um, that America needs to turn the clock back to a different age when life was simpler and better. And that resonated very strongly with millions of people uh, who live in the so-called Rust Belt and who live in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Wisconsin and Michigan, uh, all of which 
uh, most people would have thought would have been beyond the reach uh, of a Republican, and indeed, in my view, probably would not have been winnable by a Republican who trumpeted a free market, uh, um, you know, laissez-faire, uh, pro-free trade, uh, pro-military interventionist policy. Uh, so Trump, uh, despite all the narrative that was out there that, oh, any, any Republican other than Trump could beat Hillary, despite all that, the fact is Donald Trump in 2016 was actually the strongest person that the Republicans could have nominated to take on Hillary Clinton. And he actually managed to get 28% of the Latino vote, which was higher than Mitt Romney managed against President Obama in 2012. Um, why do you think then that Hillary Clinton wasn't able to connect with voters in those Rust Belt areas? And why did Donald Trump, do you think, manage to uh, connect with them on, uh, and really get out the vote? Um, I, I think Hillary Clinton... Um, failed to, to do so because, I mean, first, she's got a big problem. I mean, two-thirds of the American people don't find her trustworthy. They don't find her likable. They have issues with her character. Opinion poll after opinion poll revealed that. Secondly, she ran a terrible campaign, in my view. Uh, instead of spending time in the Rust Belt, instead of going out there and meeting people uh, and shaking hands and, you know, getting yelled at and all the things, getting down and dirty and working to earn those people's votes, instead of that, she spent a considerable amount of the summer raising a lot of money uh, and spending time seemingly surrounded and isolated with wealthy, affluent people. Uh, and that gave off all the wrong signals. And there's a, a broad, bigger, broader reason is the fact that um, both the leadership of both major political parties uh, are well behind, um, I suppose, the ascendant school of thought in the United States, which is uh, uh, America first. Uh, you know, and keep an uh, inward-looking United States, which worries about its own problems and lets the rest of the world worry about their own problems. Um, both parties are quite internationalist uh, in their thinking. Uh, they're globalist in their thinking. They're interventionist. They're pro-free trade. Um, these are things that did not resonate in the states uh, that are vital in the states that form the basis for who wins uh, and who loses presidential elections. Donald Trump spoke their language. Um, every time he said, mate, let's make America great again, he was speaking directly to those people and connecting with them. Uh, again, when he was talking about factories that were gone, jobs that were gone, this idea that he was going to bring jobs back and bring factories back. It might be unrealistic when looked at objectively, but it fell upon very receptive ears when he was out there. Uh, and again, um, a further aspect of that appeal was railing against um, the wars uh, in the Middle East the unnecessary military interventions that have disproportionately affected um, American families who are hurting and for whose sons and daughters going into the military is often the only means to get a leg up in life, uh, yet who have gone off um, fighting these wars for no good reason and have come back with emotional scars or in body bags as a result. Donald Trump connected with these people. Hillary Clinton did not. Um, that's why we have to. Uh, let's talk about climate change. Uh, we've seen Donald Trump express opinions such as saying that climate change is a myth, it doesn't exist. Surely for environmentalists and people who are concerned about climate change, um, that must be quite a dangerous prospect of uh, some of the rhetoric expressed by him in the campaign uh, transferring over to his action uh, while president. Uh, yes, it is. It is indeed uh, concerning. Trump is on record as saying that climate change is a hoax. Uh, going against the the findings of climate, the, the vast majority of climate scientists. So 
there are uh, troubling times ahead for global cooperation on, on climate change. Domestically, Trump wants to bring back coal production in, in the Rust Belt states. Uh, he wants to approve uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, which would bring uh, heavily polluting tar sands from, uh, from Alberta in Canada uh, to the southern United States. He wants to open the Arctic and the Atlantic to drilling for fossil fuels. So domestically, he's bad news for climate change. Uh, and internationally, he's pledged to pull out of the Paris Agreement on climate change uh, signed a year ago. So it's, it's not looking good for, for climate change. Do you think he will follow through with that threat to pull out of the Paris Agreement? Because we have seen um, China warn that that would be a very regressive step if he was to do that. I think he is very likely to do that. And there's speculation that he's going to make an announcement later today on on the the Paris Agreement to coincide with John Kerry speaking at the the ongoing climate conference in in Marrakesh to kind of undercut uh, John, John Kerry. I think he's likely to pull out of the Paris Agreement for a couple of reasons. One... Uh, is that he uh, well he he stated uh, that that he would do it in 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 advance. Uh, two, it's a relatively easy thing for him to do. So he made all sorts of uh, outlandish campaign promises, and he's not going to be able to deliver on all of them, and he's going to have to roll back on some of them. But he has to show that he's fulfilling some of what he promised in in his campaign, and pulling out of the Paris Agreement uh, is a relatively easy, relatively achievable thing for him to do. Uh, and then uh, three, it is roughly what you would expect a Republican president to do. Republican, pre- Republicans, by and large, don't believe in climate change. They don't like big government. They don't like regulation. So it makes sense for a Republican president, even if it wasn't Donald Trump, to to pull out of the, the Paris Agreement. But on climate, it's not all bad news because the US is... A declining share of global greenhouse gas emissions. When George W. Bush pulled out of the Kyoto Protocol in 2001, the US was re- responsible for about 23% of global emissions, so nearly a quarter of the problem. Today, the US is responsible for uh, just under four, 15% of global emissions. So the US is, is simply a smaller part of the, the global picture, and the rest of the world is moving ahead with uh, with clean energy, with low carbon transition. So even if Trump pulls out of the Paris Agreement, there's a strong possibility that the rest of the world will say, we're already on this track, uh, we're already decarbonising our economies and we're going to push ahead without the United States. Uh, just point us towards um, the polls. Clinton was, I won't say streets ahead, but certainly in the New York Times predictor that we were all gazing at all night pretty much she was streets ahead for a little while and then started to drop away yeah i think i think we need to distinguish a little bit between different kinds of polls i mean i don't know about you but i've been sort of semi-obsessively following you know the, the various opinion polls over the course of the campaign over the last few months or so certainly since the party conventions i i wonder now was i just wasting my time and i learn a lesson for the next time not to pay remotely so much attention to them but there is that there was particularly in the american media there was a huge focus on these polls and you have sites such as the new york times with the upshot or nate silver's 538 that were just solely uh, devoted to running podcasts and analyses on what those polls meant and you remember those there were the swings to hillary at the, after the first debate there was the swing back to to Trump supposedly at the time of the, when the FBI emailed thing was resurrected and then uh, Clinton again was supposed to flatten out. So you have those polls and then you have the exit polls which you were referring to last night 
which at the outset uh, appeared to show that things were looking pretty good for Clinton, that there'd been a high turnout from uh, from uh, um, Hispanics, that uh, some of the other core Clinton groups had turned up at the polls in key states such as Florida. And then you're quite right, as the evening went on, uh, so the, and the actual numbers started coming in, those exit polls started coming into into question and into disrepute, and I think you're right, people will be asking questions about them. The first thing to say is I think the Brexit comparison is very interesting. Uh, undoubtedly, uh, the exit, the shortcomings of exit polls were illustrated in both cases. I mean, a lot of people remember actually going to bed thinking that Britain was going to remain in the, in the EU, waking up six hours later discovering that Britain was going to be leaving the EU. And that was the initial thing, was on the, on the basis of exit polls, which even convinced Nigel Farage uh, of UKIP that, that they had lost that, that particular vote. So there are clearly problems with exit polls because we saw again the same thing last night, that all the signs were uh, at the start of the evening that, that Clinton was in front up to and including, you know, a, a point where a tweet from Kellyanne Conway, uh, Trump's campaign manager, seemed to indicate that she felt it was going, wasn't going to be a good night for Trump. So there's something deeply wrong with the process of exit polls. Just to explain, exit polls traditionally have supposedly been by far the most accurate of polls. They've got a much higher uh, number of people are sampled than in regular opinion polls. That you're talking to people who have actually voted. They're they're taken for a number of reasons, not just to keep us excited at ten o'clock at night when the polls have closed. Although that's the way most of us have seen them. They're used to kind of conduct deep research with people who have actually voted about why they voted, about what they think about politics, about whether they changed, to get demographic information on them. So they're used for a whole load of kind of long-term information, which political parties then use to plan their strategies and their programs and so on. In in, in, in the years to come. Well, clearly something has gone terribly wrong with that exit poll process. I don't know exactly what it is, uh, but you know we'll, we'll have to come back to that. But uh, to me, that's not the most important thing because people just being a little bit misled between 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock at night is not the real significant issue here. The real significant issue is that uh, over the course of this campaign, virtually every respectable polling organisation and every... Uh, group which aggregated and analysed the numbers which they produced had Hillary Clinton ahead to a greater or a lesser extent. And that lead over the course, it was actually quite a stable lead really. It varied, despite all the kind of high drama along the course of the campaign, it varied between about three points ahead for Clinton and seven or eight or nine points ahead for Clinton. So she was in that range and that is not how it turned out. Now, a couple of things I just want to say about, uh, about that. One is that uh, the comparison with Brexit is not quite so good here because Brexit showed, I think, more accurately that that race was too tough to call right up until the end. And I think any reasonable analysis of what happened with Brexit and the, the, the pre-vote polls is that there was a kind of establishment inertia or there was a wishful thinking went on that people thought, uh, for some unexplained reason, including myself, I should say, um, people thought that, that, people would, that the electorate would see sense in the last couple of days and that would be sufficient to swing it back towards Remain. In this case, though, there's a lot of deeper questions because you're talking about national polls. And in a way, the national poll is not as bad as the rest of them. The national poll in the U.S., uh, I, I think we're going to see, by the way, we're going to have another one of these weird situations that will be confirmed today after all the votes have counted, that Clinton will have won the election if it were held on the basis of the popular vote, will have lost it in the case of the Electoral College. So she'll probably have won the popular vote from somewhere between a half percent to one percent. So you could argue, possibly, that that's somewhat within the margin of error, which polling companies say, you know, depending on, on various factors, where it can run up to two percent or maybe even a little bit more, that you can be wrong in one, one direction or another. Just but on all that, these states, 
sorry, just to say, just, all these states were wrong. I'll let you in back in a sec. So many states were wrong that it raises a fundamental question. You know, the state-level polls in places like Pennsylvania, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, something went deeply wrong. Just on those, exit, uh, on those uh, electoral votes, it, is that kind of proving the point that Donald Trump himself put forward and Bernie Sanders too, to a degree, that Washington is broken? That you can win the most amount of votes and still lose the presidency? Well, that's nothing. If, if Washington is broken on the basis of that, then Washington has been broken for, for 250 years or, or, or whatever it is because the electoral college system has been, in its current form, has been in place since the early 19th century and in fact goes back to the to the Declaration of Independence. Maybe it's the, time the, for the a change? Is it, is it time for a change? Oh, well, it might be, but I think the, the given the inertia of the American political system, plus the fact that it benefits some groups rather than others, means that that would be a constitutional change, which I think is, is very unlikely to be enacted. It is bizarre, because now this will be the second time in uh, in only four elections, because it happened in 2000 as well, when Gal Gore won the popular vote, but, but, but lost the election to, to George W. Bush. So it is deeply bizarre, but realistically, I, I'm afraid that's not it. Uh, no, I think we're likely to see quite a big shift in, in the U.S. approach. Um, the, the U.S. and uh, Western European allies have been the principal backers of uh, the opposition forces in Syria. Um, and I think we're likely to see much stronger support for Assad, the Assad regime um, from the U.S. in in coalition with with Russia, so I think uh, Assad's position in in Syria is significantly strengthened. So, do you think going into um, as he really starts to get a sense of what his foreign policy might be, that he'll see it as more beneficial to try and uh, reinstate, to try and uh, keep Assad in power? That might not go down too well. Do you know? Uh, I I. I th- expect that will be his foreign policy position uh, on uh, on Syria to uh, support Russia and keep Assad in in power. The the big caveat, of course, is that nobody really knows. Trump has been uh, so unpredictable. Um, the, the whole political cycle over the last year has been so unpredictable that one cautions against making uh, definite predict- predictions. But if I were to predict Syria, that's what I would see happening. In terms of China, uh, we've seen Trump say in the campaign that he'd put tariffs on Chinese goods. Uh, China in the last few days have hit back through their um, through their uh, newspaper, which is controlled by the Chinese government, saying that uh, they'll hit back uh, putting tariffs on uh, Apple products and uh, so on. Um, so do you think that would be a wise move um, by Trump to really engage in a trading war um, on with tariffs there? Uh no, I don't think it would be a wise move, but Trump is making a political calculation and it plays very well to his core constituency to uh, to play the protectionist card to try and bring jobs back home and uh, re-establish uh, manufacturing jobs in, in the US. That's what a lot of people, uh, particularly in the Rust Belt states, voted uh, for Trump uh, expecting. But um, they and the rest of the U.S. economy and the global economy is likely to be the the loser if a trade war erupts between the U.S. and China. Yeah, he said that he'll bring manufacturing jobs back to rural parts of the U.S., which have uh, suffered huge job losses in recent years. Um, But a lot of those jobs are uh, goods which are produced cheaper in China, and bringing those jobs back will actually just make the cost of manufacturing... uh, 
go up and the very people who voted for him will end up paying more for those goods. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think one of the big tragedies in this election is that Trump has made a, a whole set of promises to a constituency in the US uh, that are going to be hardest hit by his policies. He's not going to be able to bring back the uh, manufacturing jobs, at least not uh, to the extent that, that he, he claims um, if a trade war ensues, the, the cost of living is, is going to go up and that's going to hit the poor hardest. And they are the people who voted in, in droves for, for Trump. So the real tragedy is that uh, a whole cohort of American society voted for Trump, but they are going to be the worst, uh, the worst affected by his presidency. What do you think his relationship might be with the European Union? Uh, we've seen, um, obviously, uh, in the UK, there was a big deal made of the fact that Theresa May was quite far down the list of uh, leaders he called uh, after his confirmation as president-elect. Um, but surely for the European Union, his election is a bigger threat to them than Brexit is. That's sort of been uh, some of the reports coming out in recent days. The, yeah, the, there could be uh, a few different uh, ways in which Trump would affect the, the European Union. Uh, one is that uh, his election coming on the back of the, the Brexit referendum in the UK will buoy uh, far-right populist uh, groups in, in European member states. And we have uh, elections, pre- presidential election in France and the general election in Germany uh, coming uh, coming up next year. And uh, we didn't think, uh, most people didn't see Brexit uh, on the cards. They didn't see Trump being elected. We're now saying we can't see Marine Le Pen being elected uh, president of France. But um, everyone got it wrong on uh, on Trump and on Brexit. So one uh, is hesitant to make predictions. Um, so that's one way uh, in which uh, Trump could uh, affect the dynamics of of. Uh, integration in in, uh, in Europe. Uh, another way is that uh, in terms of the, the security dimension, Trump has openly questioned his support for NATO um, and we don't know what's going to happen there, but if a Trump presidency was to uh, undermine the, the NATO alliance, then that completely reshapes the, the European ge- geopolitical landscape.